0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mike Rosart show live today, this Wednesday on Canada Day, this July 1st, it is Canada Day. Happy, jeez, I want to say 152nd year, 151st year since Canada became a country. But today I want to talk about how great Canada is. I'm very blessed to live in Canada and for those of us who do live in Canada and follow on the, uh, on the YouTube channel, give it a like today smash that like button. I don't know how many people are going to tune in because I'm sure you're out there enjoying the festivities, you know, having fireworks, time with family. It's a national holiday so many people in Canada today not working. And for those people in the US who are jealous that they don't live in Canada, um, just listen into to this live stream and hear me out about why I think Canada is the best place to fire. So financial independence or retire early. There's a number of reasons why I like Canada and there's some specific benefits about Canada. But one of them I want to start with at the very outset is that Canada is known throughout the world as a very um, friendly place, a very like environmentally conscious place with a lot of green space, a lot of, you know, positive things like we have low crime rate. And, you know, we've got some great social programs that exist like free health care, which I'm going to get to in a second. But we also have some of the higher tax rates in the world. But that's a myth. For those people who actually understand the tax code and understand how it actually works for early retirees looking to be financially independent and retire early, they know I've done a video previously about a year ago or so where I broke down how you can invest in companies and collect eligible Canadian dividends. So you're investing in Canadian blue chip companies like our big banks, stocks, anything on the TSX, Toronto Stock Exchange, basically. And they'd be eligible dividends you could collect and you can collect $50,000 per person in a couple Relationship completely tax-free so you can set up your early retirement with say a million bucks and you put five or You know, okay, you could two million bucks Let's say a million bucks in one spouse's name a million in the other spouse's name invest in dividends collect five percent return from dividends and the rest in capital appreciation and Boom you'd have fifty thousand dollars completely tax-free for the one spouse fifty thousand dollars a year tax-free from the other spouse So a hundred grand a year you're paying no tax free healthcare, great social programs. By the way, the CERB program that exists during COVID is like over $2,000 a month. Businesses are getting $40,000 interest-free with a $10,000 being completely forgiven. Like the government just hands out money here. And yes, they tax the middle class here in Canada. And yes, they tax the ultra class the ultra wealthy class here in Canada. But if you're smart about how you, how you take care of things and you fit into this sort of niche fire movement in that you want to retire early and you want to, and you're okay living on less than say hundred grand a year. Canada is a great place to retire. We have a great, like the air quality here in Canada is some of the best that I've seen. You know, we have tons of natural trails. We have some of the most fresh water available of any country. There are a lot of great things about Canada. And in fact, we're very multicultural. We're very diverse. I'm thankful that in my daily life like pretty much all the people I surround myself with none of them are you know like an English or like British descent Indian Chinese you know or Asian descent of some sort Spanish descent you know from South America or like from Africa there's tons of different um, diversities here in Canada so I just want to take a minute before I get into any QA today and I'm hoping by the way that we don't have very many questions because I'm about to go over to the neighbors we're gonna do like a big projector movie night thing and do some fireworks and the neighbors have gotten together and we're pitching in to have a canada day celebration on the frugal so anyway i'm gonna i'm always here no matter what and i i promise that regardless of um yeah, regardless of, of what the holiday is or where i am i go live every wednesday i've been on vacation. And my wife's like, you're going live tonight? I'm like, yeah, let's get in the hotel room, let's get the Wi-Fi. I'm going live. Is consistency. And everything that I do, I try to be consistent to my word. And that's a big thing I think in general. It's a message I want to share. I think that Canadians do a better job of this than most other nations, but you know, just it comes down to a personal level, taking accountability. Almost everything is our own fault. And I like that's that's how I start. Whenever there's a problem, I'm like, what could I have done better? where did you know covid happen whatever and how do we react but how could i have done better how can i have been better through the situation you know airbnb is dead but how could i react better you know what can i do that i can control and how can i be better so accountability is a big piece and i think that you know canadians do a great job of you know feeling socially responsible i think for you know individual citizens and i just like that about our our culture here about how we're just canadians are great people and so if you're looking to move to canada um, cost of living can be very affordable in some places. And, you know, maybe not in Toronto or Vancouver, but on the outliers surrounding Toronto or in places like London or, you know, some smaller cities, there's some really affordable cost of living for the quality of the life that you have. Let's not forget that Canada has like, I think, top 10 for education. So like our public schools and our our publicly funded um, Catholic schools are some of the best. They rival the private schools in many cases, right? So it's, There's some great things about Canada that I think that a lot of other countries don't have. And um, I'm just, today I'm thankful to be Canadian and I'm thankful that I'm in a place where, you know, I can be free and I can really be, like we're so blessed to live here and to to have this opportunity, you know, to be together. And and despite we might have our hardships here in Canada, just like any other place, um, I think the pros outweigh the cons. And I think of any other place that I wanna live, you know, cost wise, your dollar goes really far here. We have a really good tax system set up for early retirees so it's interesting that they don't have these kinds of things in the united states and so i'm thankful a lot of days for uh for canada um yeah so it is that is what i had to say on canada today and that's my like six minute rant on canada and how great it is so now we can go into you know what i've been up to i'll give you guys a status update and then just kind of share you know, I use this as a journaling tool too, so just share what's been up in my life, so I can look back. You know, a year from now, and watch. I probably won't watch them, but you know, if I ever wanted to, I could look back, or my kids could look back and say, you know, this is what Dad was up to, you know, two years ago on 2018 or 2019 or whatever. So, anyway, if there's any questions, I will jump in and answer them. Shaylin, how you doing? Happy Canada Day to you as well. How to save says, let's go, let's get it. Southland reseller says, hey Mike, happy celebrations. Thank you. William says, happy Canada Day. Joe, so Jimmy, how you doing? Uh, Trevor says, thanks for being here tonight, Mike. Hey, happy to be here. Happy Canada Day, no problem. Thank you for the message. Australia says, Made our minimum wage is going up to $19.84 an hour. Jeez, that's, that seems high, um, but I guess when you put it in perspective, maybe cost of living is higher in Australia and they, they need that to sort of offset. Here in Canada, it's $14 an hour, I believe, is our minimum wage. Now that seems like it might be high compared to some US states where it's seven or eight dollars. But you have to remember that one, we have a really good um, Canada pension plan and unemployment insurance. We get laid off in Canada, you get like 55% of your income for almost like a year, it's like nine months or something. Um, and there's just tons of great social programs that they deduct off of our pay. So on a $14 minimum wage, you're really making a lot less than that because there are some deductions. For those that are working in Canada, there's, there's quite a bit of deductions. If you're financially independent and you're enjoying a dividend, funded lifestyle there's pretty much no tax so that's kind of cool there's some really great loopholes here in Canada better than the U.S. actually for fire so if you're looking to be financially independent retiring early Canada actually has a, one of the best tax systems in the world for that system um you now, if you're really rich it's not good you're gonna pay a lot of tax but if you're like upper middle class top five percent and like financially independent I guess so you've saved up like a million bucks to retire early which is actually a lot more people than you might think a lot of the baby boomers are in that sort of niche um, then Canada is a great place to be because again, no health insurance at all. If you want to pay for like an elective surgery, you can go to private clinics and stuff like that and get treated quicker because the lines are long. You do have a long wait list because it's equal. Anyone has a chance at the same medical treatment here, right? But um, yeah, it's some great things about Canada. So can't stop talking about how much I love Canada. I think it's a great country. I'm blessed to live here. I've had the choice to move to other countries where cost of living might be lower, but if you factor in the total cost of living, as in the tax implications and some of like the healthcare pieces, I think it actually ends up being cheaper to live in Canada, especially in a smaller, you know, city where like here in London, you could pick up right now. I know of a five bedroom, three bath massive house that's for rent for like $1,900 plus utilities. So that's out there right now. By the way, it's tenants market for finding good places to live. Now you probably have to have a good income to qualify. The reason the price is so low on the rent is this is a big house and they want someone to take care of it. Um, They want someone who's going to be really well qualified. So you have to be a super well qualified tenant to probably get that unit, but you could get that whole house and that's a relatively low cost of living. In the GTA, people pick up, you know, big houses in the suburbs just outside of Toronto, but still within commuting distance. Like I see five, six bedroom houses, people pick them up for like three grand a month. Um, and they get great, you know, that's like a massive 3,000, 4,000 square foot house in some cases. So you can rent really cheaply, um, even in some of the, the better areas to live in Canada. So hashtag blessed, maybe not to own a home in Vancouver or Toronto, that would be a mistake. But I think for, you know, for those who, who know how to move through the system, Canada has a lot of really great things going for it, for raising a family and, and just for FIRE, for financial independence, retire early lifestyle, it's great. Now getting to FIRE, working and, and building up wealth here in Canada, there's a lot of taxes and there's a lot associated with that. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful country. and I think I will always call Canada home. That doesn't mean I won't travel five and a half months a year outside of Canada and be here six and a half months to stay, you know, a Canadian citizen. Because I, I may travel when COVID restrictions end. I plan to spend a lot of my winter time in a warm place. And so I love Canada in the summer. And in the winter, it's great for like a month. Like it's great to go like snowboarding and skiing and enjoy all the winter festivities and then like January hits and you're like, it's cold and I'm done. Uh, Time to go somewhere warm. So you can mitigate some of the negatives, I think of the cold in Canada. Let's be honest, like right now, it's like 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside here in uh, London, Ontario. And I was swimming in a pool just, just the side here. So like for the whole afternoon and it's beautiful. Like it's, that's 30 degrees Celsius pretty much It's a beautiful day. It's as warm here as anywhere else. And so for four to five months a year, it's fantastic weather. And then the spring and fall I love too. So Canada's a great place. I just, for those naysayers who hate Canada, Canada's a great place. Um, and I'm lucky to be a citizen of it. And I'm thankful every day for the opportunity to support the system too. I pay a lot of tax, especially in my years of building to financial independence, I had to pay a lot of tax. And I'm, I'm happy to contribute to the social system that exists. And, you know, some of the social programs that exist. And all of them are good. There's a lot of problems, a lot of, Along the way, there's a lot of things I think that Canada could do better. Let's, I don't want to get into a political debate right now on live stream, but I will say that Canada has a lot of great things going for it. And a social security net that exists keeps people from, you know, basically like, there's, there's sort of, um, what do you call, it's not called welfare anymore. It's called like, um, i there's another name for it. I think it's called Ontario Works here in Ontario. Uh, but you get free money from government if you have not any assets and no job. Like you literally get free money no matter what. The government, I don't know if it's like something under $1,000 a month, but again, these programs exist and I'm happy to fund them so that someone actually has a place to live. Now, what happens is people have mental illness, and they end up on the streets cause they're, you know, they just can't even function in society. That's a real sad situation. We need to develop programs for that. But again, all of us Canadians should be happy to pay some tax to ensure that, you know, at the end of the day, these programs exist for the people who are really struggling. I grew up with not a lot and I relied on some of these programs. My family relied on some of these programs just to put food on the table, right? And so um, at the end of the day, I, I, I think Canada is a great place where anyone can really rise up. Our education system is top notch. I Honestly, if I didn't go to some of the best elementary, publicly funded elementary and, and high schools, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, it's because I had such great people in my life. Um, anyway, so Canada is just a beautiful country and those people who are critics of Canada, I would say, uh, come do a little bit of research and, and don't listen to some of the stereotypes because Canada actually does not does have a great tax system. Watch the replay. You'll see that I talked about. You can bring in $100,000 a year in dividend income as a couple, completely tax-free, zero tax rate, right? So you can fire in Canada and pay no tax and enjoy all the benefits of, uh, of Canada. I mean, you'll still have sales tax on the things that you buy, but that's in most countries. So unless you live in Alberta, in which case I think there isn't a sales tax. Okay, question and answer time. Let's hit it. Uh, next question. Happy Canada Day. Happy Canada to you. How's it going? It's going well. Um, can't complain overall. My life is blessed. I'm working on, we have nine properties listed for sale right now that we're trying to sell. I'm looking at selling a bunch of properties off that I was joint venture partnership on, uh, mostly because joint venture partnership requires a lot of collaboration and extra time investment. Return on time is lower on a joint venture partnership. I prefer to just, in, in a lot of cases, it makes more sense to give an investor a fixed return, structure it as debt and then be in full control. There's no um, discussions. There's no um, time wasted in in having to figure things out. You're in complete control and you just move on. And so it's a lot, I would say like 10 JVs take up the same amount of time as owning like five or six properties by yourself, right? So it's actually a lot less time and management and just less headspace um, wasted. So I've been working on that. I also am buying a bunch more properties. I actually have a bunch lined up to close. And so I'm, I'm excited to buy more properties and sell some. I'm always rebalancing my portfolio. So that's what's up in my life. Um, with real estate, I, I, have a, I love to acquire deals. I love to you know, transform properties. I love to enjoy the stabilization. But when a property has been fully maxed out and it doesn't fit in the portfolio for whatever reason or it has a, you know some other inherent disadvantage, I'm always happy to sell it and buy something else. So I treat my real estate portfolio like a stock portfolio that produces great cash flow and is levered. Um, but you know, at any time, if I think a property is overvalued, I will sell it off net of tax consequences, obviously, but I rebalance my real estate portfolio in the same way I do a stock portfolio. So yeah, that's what's happened with my world and it just so happens that real estate is not as liquid as a stock portfolio. And so selling off, say 20 properties, takes a lot of effort to prepare them for sale and get the maximum dollar. Um, It's One of the things I love about real estate is that you can arbitrage the hell out of it. You can get a ton of wedge deals. You can, you know, take advantage of imperfect information and use that information to your advantage. Um, Because people aren't equally educated in the stock market, you know, information is freely available and most of the people trading have, you know, relatively sophisticated knowledge. In real estate, that's not the case. You've moms and pops who know nothing about cap rates and know nothing about anything and people just buying irrationally. And so if you could, you know, pick up a deal from someone and unlock the value in it through renovation and then sell it off to someone who's looking for something turnkey, you could solve a need in the market and make a ton of money. And it's because it's hard to do, hard to execute on the, you know, institutional investors don't go in and do it. And so it's a, a mark a niche, I guess, or a market that's not exploited largely. And so there's some advantages there. It's the same in, in private business. Non publicly traded private businesses. You have huge advantages to make lots of money. And so yeah, that's what I've been up to lately. And enjoying time with family more so now than than ever and focused on the things that are important in life, which is you know, family and friends and relationships and the personal journey and personal development. So I've been furthering my education in a lot of areas that I'm interested in. And uh, I got some personal goals that I've been working towards. I've been crushing a lot of series on Netflix and things like that. And I got back into gaming a little bit, but I want to get back into that heavier. I want to focus on those types of things more so than just building wealth for the sake of it. Now that I'm financially independent, it's less about the money and more just about enjoying the journey. And so, yeah, that's how I'm doing. Thank you for asking. Next question. Okay, yeah, we touched on education. Good question. Happy candidate to you. Happy candidate to you. Next one is I want to invest in a small town with 500 people, but I'm not sure if the rental market is there. How do I determine if there are actually renters? Will, great question. Um, you could go on the you know Craigslist, Kijiji, Facebook Marketplace, the, wherever the private listings for um, tenants looking for properties to rent and landlords posting units to rent out are and see what kind of things are going on. But the best way to be honest is to talk to realtors in the local market, several of them and get some opinions, you know, go on and again, go on those Craigslist ads. And if you see landlords posting units for rent, call them and say, Hey, how many inquiries are you getting? I would assume 500 people, unless the city's or the, is 500 people a city or like a small, like less than a town, like a hamlet maybe? I don't even know what you'd call that. But that small of a place would have some, I guess one of my main concerns would be infrastructure. Uh, it Does it have adequate infrastructure? And more, more so if it does, is that infrastructure aging? And will there be enough property tax roll from 500 people living in a town, which means a couple hundred houses maximum, to actually sustain that infrastructure? Because I think long-term a lot of these small towns We'll just, and we've seen this happen in some small towns where they just a like the, the water network, just, you know, something happens. So the sewers busted and they need 10 million bucks to repair it all. And there's not enough rent or property tax rule to actually cover that. And so the city just like becomes a ghost town. That's the fear of investing in a really small town is unless it's growing or has some really strong, you know, fundamental that's keeping it, you know, sustainable long-term. Like maybe it has a, a manufacturing plant that employs everyone there. Well, then I want to do a lot of research on that manufacturing plant and make sure it's going to be here for a long time. And just know that you're taking a huge gamble. Um, you could have a negative appreciation. In fact, probably no appreciation, unless the city's growing, I mean, unless demographic changes are such that there's population increase in this place, the, prop, the, the um, appreciation would be negative, I would think, if not just lines. So that's the fear of investing in a small town no one knows about with potentially unsustainable infrastructure. That's why we like to invest in bigger cities with four or 500,000 people, that sort of thing, because there's a, a bit of safety there from a demographic perspective, from a long term sustainability perspective. But if you're going to invest in a small town and you're going to take those risks and you've done all your research and you're like, Hey, everything checks out, it makes tons of sense. Make sure you're getting like at least 2% rule um, 2% rule being 2% of the value of the house you need to collect and rent each month. That's the minimum. If I'm in a rural town, I'm looking for like 3% rule because there's such high risk on the lack of appreciation and the infrastructure sustainability long-term that you know, the bricks and sticks are gonna depreciate in value. And if the land's also not appreciating, you've got a depreciating asset like a car. So then you gotta factor and you need an extra amount of cash flow to you know, compensate for that. So just be careful investing in small towns. I've not done it. Um, maybe you're investing in a small town though that is outside of a huge town or like a huge city, right? In which case, like if there's a city of like 500,000 people, a 10, 15 minute drive away or 20 minute drive, I think there's a trend right now towards people working from home and I think people are moving out of the city because they don't need to be so close to work anymore and the peripherals of cities I think are going to appreciate in value in a big way more so than the core whereas the core used to be extremely desirable because you could walk to work no longer is it required for us to all go to work each day and so I think the the peripheral areas of cities are a huge potential going forward in the next 10 or 15 years especially with things like Elon Musk bringing me in um, super fast satellite Wi-Fi right that sort of bridges the main I guess uh, in my mind that's probably one of the main um, roadblocks stopping people from moving out to the you know 10 minutes outside the city and 10 minutes is not a big deal to drive for groceries once or twice you know twice a month or something right but if you're not commuting to work anymore and you can work from home why not get more for less and so I think the desirability of the country or not even the country but like the suburbs or just outside the suburbs of most cities Way more desirable in which case i think that's a totally different conversation than a 500 person little hamlet town that is you know 40 minutes from the nearest town that's scary um, from an infrastructure sustainability perspective and long-term appreciation perspective hopefully that helped answer your question that was just kind of off the cuff my sort of initial thoughts you'll want to do a bit more investigation and research and stuff before you make the decision it's hard for me to know because Again, I don't know the city, I don't know any other information, and even if I did, I'd have to spend hours researching before I'd become a SME. In the industry, they call it a SME, but a subject matter expert. Well I'm moving. Nice to hear, Philip. <laughs> Welcome to Canada. Try and, uh, I hear it's a hard place to get into, but uh, I think if you have some money, you could probably get into Canada fairly easily. So early retirees could probably buy a business here or bring some wealth here and they'd be able to get in much easier. So. Canada would love to have your capital to invest in. Let's remember that we only incentivize in the tax code individuals investing in Canadian businesses that are paying Canadian corporate tax. That's why we get the dividends tax-free. So invest in our local infrastructure, invest in our local, uh, in our domestic or national economy, and uh, that's a win-win for everyone. So I think that's why the government incentivizes as they do. Happy Canada Day, D how to. Mr. Frugal says, hi Mike, happy Canada Day. Is private business investing suited for investors in their 20s with a net worth of under 300K? If so, what resources do you recommend to learn about? Um, You know, it's difficult to buy businesses in general um, on a good day, but I think a big piece, it doesn't matter your age, but I think a big piece of buying private businesses is, well, there's a few pieces. One, you could partner with someone who's maybe got the mature financing capability to take down a deal. And I think that anything under, you know, any, any deal under a million dollars probably is not a deal worth all the time in investment. It probably is an owner operator higher risk acquisition. I'm not i I'm not into to buying high risk acquisitions where it's an owner owner operator only because if the owner operator leaves, how much value is actually left there. And that's most of what you find in the under one million category for businesses for sale. Now, there are exceptions to that rule in a ton of them. Um, but I guess it depends, right? If, You've got to learn somewhere you've got to build the experience somewhere to learn how to run a business and and so maybe there's an opportunity where you're partnering with an existing owner work with them for a few years and then buy them out that could be a great opportunity to buy into a private business at your net worth level right and so there could be opportunities definitely Uh, is it harder to take down a bigger business with that kind of net worth yes for sure it is um you would need a partner or you might need to look at smaller businesses so it's never i think it's never too late but you have to think too about diversification right if your net worth is three hundred thousand dollars and you know, what are you investing in? Maybe the business requires two, three hundred thousand dollars in in capital to to buy it out, right? So then you'd be you'd have no diversification in, in real estate or stocks and other asset classes. And so it's important to remember that diversification ensures a lower level of risk of losing your money. And for me, it's always been about trying not to lose money. That's the most important piece. of anything else, like I'm okay if I don't lose money. I make money bonus and I'm always trying to make lots of money but the worst thing you can do is lose money so don't lose money and I think diversification is a, a key cornerstone piece to that strategy so yeah age doesn't matter good question Mr. Frugal hit that like button everyone totally hit it Sony good to see you as well happy Canada day <laughs> meanwhile I live in Cleveland and somebody set a car on fire the other day right outside my window ouch I was out at two in the morning walking my dog last night in, in my subdivision and like just quiet and nice and like no one out. You know, I could literally sleep on my sidewalk where I live here and it's fantastic. Now there are parts of my city I wouldn't do that in, but where I live, I'm fortunate enough that it's a good neighborhood watch and you know, it's just quiet. It's far enough away from the city center that there's not a lot of riffraff here and it's a really well-to-do area. So most of the people here have higher net worth. Not to say that higher net worth people are better, but statistically speaking, they don't need to commit, as, they don't commit as many crimes because they probably don't need to. Um, or if they do commit crimes, it's typically behind closed doors, in which case it doesn't affect anyone on the street. Um, so yeah, I don't want to get down a rabbit hole there, but um, yeah, there's some great pockets in probably in the U.S. too where you could live and it'd be extremely safe. But um, yeah, Canada's a great great place to live too. And we have we have our own problems as well. We're not perfect. Next question: Does tenant in a legal basement unit can report to you or have other leverage? What benefits for you a legal unit gives to you? Maybe can evict easily in case. So, Const, um, your question, I think what you're talking about is, like, a legal basement apartment that isn't licensed or something. There's several, like, layers of legality, right? Like, it could pass fire inspection, but not be approved by the city. In which case, like, from the fire code's perspective, it's completely safe. It has means of escape, it has, et cetera, and so forth. So, liability-wise, you'd be okay in that respect. It just wouldn't pass, like, a local zoning Code. in which case the zoning might change and the legal might the unit might become legal in um, a lot of cases it's just an application away from being legal and so you can often solve an illegal unit by making it legal relatively easily um, I know of people who have a lot of legal units illegal units that they can make legal with an application and so the leverage would be gone as soon as the owner just made it legal right and so I wouldn't worry too much especially if you've got something that's over 65 ceiling height all the way through It's got two means of escape from the unit got smoke alarms and things like that going on to me You read your local Ontario building code Or I guess if you're not in Ontario whatever your local building code is and your fire code and just find out if the suite is legal Um, But if it isn't legal and this happens a lot like people have basement apartments that they rent out and whatever My opinion is we're in a housing crisis or I guess a lack of rental housing for people And it's crazy how many units may not be totally blessed, but like just someone's basement they want to rent out and they don't want to go through all the process of making it like a legal unit, but it is safe. Let's say it's just, you know, they haven't gone through the licensing and all that kind of crap and rezoning and they maybe don't want to for resale purposes, but they have a perfectly good unit. I think if someone wants to enter into a contract, they see the unit, they like it, they want to enter into a contract to rent it. I believe in freedom of choice and someone should have a freedom of choice to choose. They want to live in a rental unit. And so if they want to live in an apartment for $700 a month that you know, maybe doesn't have full proper soundproofing, that should be their choice. You know, um, I believe consumers should be able to make the choice. And if they want to live, maybe they give them a discount as such. But uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing that per se. Uh, just make sure that yeah, I guess tenants might use that as leverage against you that it wouldn't be legal. But I don't know why they would even care, to be honest, like as long as it met fire code safety. Um, yeah. But. As far as evicting tenants here in Ontario, no. Um, it doesn't matter whether the, legal, the unit's legal or not, it can be very difficult to evict tenants regardless, especially if a tenancy agreement has been entered into. Um, whether it's a bedroom or a unit, the only time where you'd have, you can just evict them with the police is if you share common space. So in all of my house hacks, I've, every single house hack I've ever done, I share the living room, the kitchen, the bathroom, the laundry facilities in some way. I'll oftentimes go down and to make sure that there's a way that the two units are not completely tied off on purpose. And this has been very helpful in several cases. I had a duplex used to live in about four or five years ago where I had to evict a tenant and I gave them three weeks. I'm like, get out in three weeks, you're out. And they're like, Oh, but we have a lease. I'm like, no, we share laundry. We share a washroom. We share a living room. You rent these two rooms back here and a washroom. You do not have your own private space because we share common facilities. I had the police remove them gone. There's no, the landlord Tenant Board only applies to individual self-contained units. So it's important if you're house hacking to, I think it's better to rent out rooms because then you can just kick a tenant out whenever you want. They have no rights in your house. If you don't feel safe, immediate eviction. If they don't pay rent, you can evict them. But mostly it's a safety concern, right? Like if a tenant's threatened you or something in your own home, you just remove them, call the police, they'd be removed, right? But if they have their own independent unit, then you're each in self-contained units, that's the problem. So I prefer in the way I structure my things to rent out when I house hack, to rent out rooms as opposed to renting out units. Just the better way to do it. Um, so yeah, that's what I'd recommend in that uh, category. You've gotta protect yourself. What if you to someone who's crazy and you know you have to protect your family? They have to be able to be evicted. And so um, structure it so that you protect yourself and your family. Canada seems great. I don't know about that bagged milk though. Yeah, bagged milk's great, honestly. Um, no issues. We also have like milk that comes in jugs too, especially the organic milk. It all comes in jugs. So actually my fridge right now, I don't even have bag milk. I think we have jug milk. So yeah, (laughs) fair point about criticizing countries inherently political. Michael Lambert says was a big reason for your success in London area because of the appreciation of your properties, both market driven and forced by renovations. You're awesome. Thank you. Um, great question. So was a lot of my success through appreciation? Yes. Um, Appreciation out of my control now I bought a lot of properties and increased the value on all of those properties I bought smart under market value renovated them strategically and then created value That's my system that I've been good at right is I I buy smart. I'm definitely good at that And so regardless of market appreciation, I'd be a millionaire today Um, So would I be fired today without appreciation? Yes, I'm now lux fire or luxury fire uh, to this point where I made a lot of money. Like, I, mean, I planned to make a good amount of money, but I made a lot of money because the market did appreciate a ton. Now, I didn't always play the appreciation the best. I sold a bunch of properties off in 2017 before the market appreciated. And, you know, I could have maybe made more, but I was never playing for appreciation. It's always been a bonus for me. I play for the cash flow. I play for the forced appreciation through value add. I play for buying on day one and unlocking value day one because I bought smart. That's what I play for. And the appreciation is always a bonus, right? So that's just my strategy in real estate investing. And so great question. Overall, I think that uh, you should always play for cash flow and play for the things you can control. And market appreciation or gentrification of a neighborhood, those are factors out of your control. And so that's speculating and that's gambling. And gambling's fine. Like a lot of people invest in real estate and they win by gambling, but it'd be a whole lot better if the market doesn't go the way you want it to go that you still win. And so I like to play where I win no matter what. And if I win big, bonus. And so yes, have I won big? Yes, like I owned real estate at the right time. And I have definitely made a lot of money because of when I owned the real estate and how big my portfolio was at the time. So yeah, um, definitely thankful for that. And, and today I'm at a point where I never need to work another day in my life if I don't want to. Now I do because I have certain goals that I wanna hit and certain things I wanna provide for my family long term and. One big thing is making sure my kids and my kids' kids never end up growing up how I grew up. I want to make sure that poverty is eliminated from my my line going forward. And so part of that is building a trust that assumes that there's always a level of protection there for my family and and keeping them out of poverty. And so there's some things going on in my life that, you know, I I have certain goals and things that are going on that I always want to grow and to build more, right? It feels good to do that. So Am I where I want to be? Not yet, but uh, yeah, I'm doing well, so... Thank you for asking. Great question. Um, yeah, hopefully you can take that advice and, and you know, build some, some equity in properties through forced depreciation, not through natural organic appreciation, because we can't control the, the latter and we can control the former. Uh, it's better to be able to be in control. And I think that's the key of investing in real estate is that we have the control. Um, now, sometimes when we have bad property managers and bad contractors, it can feel like we're not in control and, and I know the pain of that as well. So that's a tough one. Um, but those are all solvable problems, right? So, anyway, that's that's what it is. Key says, hey Mike, can you please explain how you funded your first deal when you were 19? Thank you. Uh, saved up, I, so I've been working since I was 15 at Tim Hortons, and uh, I made like, I don't know, 15, 16 grand a year, working you know, 30 hours a week, something like that, roughly. I had a paper route, I cut grass, for neighbors and did a flower watering business and I did uh, Tim Hortons. And so I was working at 16. While I was going through high school, I was saving up money.